Peace be upon you. So it's been a while since we discussed the topic of Hadith and thought it's a good time to revisit this topic. So the word Hadith, um, the root is Ha Del Tha, and it occurs about 36 times in the Quran. And God actually references the Quran itself as a Hadith. For instance, in Surah 39, verse 23, we read, God has revealed herein the best Hadith, a book that is consistent and points out both ways to heaven and hell. In Surah 12, verse 111, it reads, In their history, there is a lesson for those who possess intelligence. This is not fabricated Hadith. So again, we're seeing that God is referencing this Quran as a form of Hadith. In Surah 52, verse 34, it reads, Let them produce a Hadith like this if they are truthful. And in 68.44, we read, Therefore, let me deal with those who reject this hadith. We will lead them on whence they never perceive. So we see that there's a handful of times, and there's actually more, where God is referencing the Quran itself as a hadith. But if you go and look at what is the definition of hadith, say on Wikipedia or just in uh, layman's terms, uh, what you'll hear is that hadith are narrations attributed to the prophet. So now we have two forms of hadith. We have the hadith, that is that of the Quran, and then we have the hadith, which are these narrations that were collected some 200 years after the Prophet's death that are uh, also called hadith. So most people, they'll say, well, you got to follow both. And the reason they make this argument is because God tells us in the Quran that we have to obey God and obey the messenger. For instance, in Surah 64, verse 12, it reads, you shall obey God and you shall obey the messenger. If you turn away, then the sole mission of our messenger is to deliver the message. Surah 4 verse 80 uses even uh, stronger language. It says, whoever obeys the messenger is obeying God. As for those who turn away, we did not send you as their guardian. So we're seeing there's numerous verses in the Quran where we're told, we're commanded, we have to obey uh, God and his messenger. So does this mean that any saying that is just attributed to the prophet, we have to obey? Uh, No, God has a system in the Quran. Uh, As we mentioned before, the hadith uh, uh, that are attributed to the uh, prophet, these were collected some 200 years after his death. And we can't just accept all of them uh, just at uh, face value. For instance, the compilers of this hadith, most of the work that they compiled, like what percentage would you think they thrown out that they said this is untrustworthy? On average, about 99% Of the hundreds of thousands of hadith that they supposedly collected, they ended up rejecting because they said it's untrustworthy. So for instance, Bukhari, uh, he died in 846. And uh, this was 213 years after the revelation of the Quran. And it's said that he collected over 600,000 hadith. He claimed that he memorized over 300,000 hadith. And of that, how many do you think he maintained? Uh, pending on if you're counting repetitions or not, and if you include repetitions, uh, hadith that are uh, repeated, he saved only 7,563 of these hadith, meaning that almost 99% he said was uh, fabricated. He couldn't verify. So you can tell that the vast majority of this is lies. There are things that are unverifiable. There are things that are uh, we'll see even in that 1% uh, highly contradict the Quran. And this isn't just Bukhari. If you look at the other uh, compilers of Hadith, uh, it's relatively the same story. You know, they claim to have uh, memorized and collected hundreds of thousands of Hadith, and they retain about 1% of what they have. 
So the challenge is if someone says, hey, this is a hadith, it's our duty that we have to verify. We can't just accept it blindly. For instance, in Surah 17, verse 36, it uh, reads, you shall not accept any information unless you verify it for yourself. I have given you the hearing, the eyesight, and the brain, and you're responsible for using them. So God is giving us a direct commandment that we have to verify any information that we receive. We can't just accept these because they said, oh, the prophet said so. Somehow we have to validate that this is actually from the prophet. And then in addition, in Surah 49, verse 6, it says, O you who believe, if a wicked person brings any news to you, you shall first investigate, lest you commit injustice towards some people out of ignorance, then become sorry and remorseful for what you have done. And a lot of these hadith, they actually portray the prophet and the companions in a terrible light. Uh, they make him out to be the, the prophet as if he's a warmonger, uh, that he's not fighting in self-defense, that he's the uh, aggressor, that he married a child. All these senseless stories that depict our prophet as such a uh, terrible light. And that's because, again, there's all these hadith that are unverifiable, that contradict the Quran, and um, you know shouldn't just be taken on surface value. So some people, they make the argument, they say, well, look, you have to accept both. You have to accept the uh, hadith uh, of the prophet and you accept the hadith of the Quran. Um, and the reason, again, is because they say you have to obey God and obey the messenger. Except God gives us in the Quran an ultimatum. Uh, we cannot accept both. It's either the Quran or these other sources. For instance, in Surah 45, verse 6, it reads, These are God's revelations that we recite to you truthfully. In which hadith, other than God and his revelations, do they believe? In Surah 7, verse 185, we read, Have they not looked at the dominion of the heavens and the earth and all things that God has created? Does it ever occur to them that the end of their life may be near? Which hadith beside this do they believe in? So God is clearly spelling out an ultimatum for the followers of the Quran, that we either follow just the Quran alone, or we go after these other sources, uh, these other uh, hadith that are attributed to the Prophet that, again, have no validity. Uh, it continues in Surah 77, verse 50. It says, which hadith other than this do they uphold? So God is giving us this clear ultimatum. Either you follow the Quran or you follow these other sources, but you cannot follow both because the criteria is if we believe in God, if we trust in God, then we only follow the Quran. If the second we go to some other source for religious salvation, for religious law, it shows that we have lack of trust in God. In Surah 6, verse 112 and 113, we read, We have permitted the enemies of every prophet, human and jinn devils, to inspire in each other fancy words in order to deceive. Had your Lord willed, they would not have done it. You shall disregard them and their fabrications. This is to let the minds of those who do not believe in the hereafter listen to such fabrications and accept them and thus expose their real convictions. In this verse, God is warning us of people who are going to entice people with fancy words. They're going to seem legit. They're going to look like as if they are divine commandments. But God is saying that he allows human and jinn devils to trick each other to see who truly believes in the hereafter. Because if you genuinely believe in God and you believe in the hereafter, you would only follow the Quran alone. Again, the second we go to some other source beside what God has revealed for us in the Quran, it shows that we do not believe in God that we believe that there's another source that we need to follow.
God tells us in the Quran that the Quran is complete, that it's fully detailed, that it has everything we need for our salvation. And the question is, do we believe in God when he makes these claims? Because what does it mean to believe in God? Does it mean strictly to believe his existence? Satan believes in God's existence. The question is, do you trust in God's words? That's what distinguishes someone who genuinely believes in God from someone who's just giving lip service. In Surah 17, verse 89, it says, We have cited for the people in this Quran all kinds of examples, but most people insist upon disbelieving. If you believe that there's other sources that we need in order for clarification to understand the Quran, to uh, add to the, uh, the laws and the regulations that are in the Quran, it shows that we do not believe in God's words in the scripture. In Surah 30, verse 58 says, Thus, we have cited for the people in the Quran all kinds of examples. Yet no matter what kind of proof you present to the disbelievers, they say you are falsifiers. In Surah 10, verse 37, it says, This Quran could not possibly be authored by other than God. It confirms all previous messages and provides a fully detailed scripture. It is infallible, for it comes from the Lord of the universe. God is repeatedly telling us in the Quran that the Quran is complete, it's fully detailed. It has everything we need for our salvation. If we think we have to go to another source, again, it shows that we do not trust in God's words in this scripture. Surah 6, verse 114 and 115, we read, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law, hikmah, when he has revealed to you this book, fully detailed? Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. Nothing shall abrogate his words. He is the hear, the omniscient. God is spelling it out for us in no uncertain terms that the only source of law that we are to follow is in the Quran, that it's fully detailed that it has explanations for everything having to do with our salvation, that it's complete in truth and justice, and nothing shall abrogate God's word. And we read in the following verse, in 116, it says, If you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture. They only guess. And this is what Hadith is. Hadith the narrations attributed to the prophet that were collected some 200 years after his death, these are strictly conjecture. They contradict the words of the Quran. And we're going to go through these uh, examples just to give a baseline. And these are from the Sahih Hadith, the most authentic, the most trusted Hadith. You'll see that it repeatedly contradicts the Quran. Now, one of the beauties of the Quran is that it contains no contradictions. In Surah 4, verse 82, it reads, Why do they not study the Quran carefully? If it were from other than God, they would have found in it numerous contradictions. This is what it means to have a complete book, is that all the, the laws, the stipulations, they're all contained in this book that it's complete, that you're not going to find something that contradicts one verse from another. If you do speculate that there's a contradiction in the Quran, it's not the Quran that's wrong, it's your understanding that's wrong. This is a mechanism by which we use to determine the correct understanding. Now, when you introduce Hadith, what ends up happening is now you have two sources. You have one source that is the Quran, that's complete, that has no contradictions. But the second you introduce the Hadith, you see that these laws, they contradict one another. And oftentimes, even within the same Sahih Hadith, they're going to contradict themselves. 
And God gives us this example in Surah 39, verse 29. It says, God cites the example of a man who deals with disputing partners. This is like the uh, common day hadith. And it continues, compared to a man who deals with only one consistent source, that of the Quran. Are they the same? Praise be to God. Most of them do not know. God is informing us that when we have one consistent source like that of the Quran, then we are guided. But if we go to multiple sources, what ends up happening is there's contradictions and disputes. And then again, you have a choice. God is presenting that ultimatum. Which hadith beside the Quran do you choose to follow? So let's look at some of these contradictions. If you look in the hadith themselves, and again, these are the most trusted hadith, one of the things you'll see is the history is kind of all over the map. So according to the uh, trustworthy Asahi hadith of Bukhari, it indicates different ages for Muhammad at his death. You'll see some that indicate that he was 60 years old, some that indicate that he was 63 years old, some that would indicate that he's 65 years old. So if these are supposed to be absolutely trustworthy, by which we're supposed to have religious decrees on, wouldn't it make sense that it would be able to determine with absolute certainty how old Muhammad was based on these hadith? Now, the challenge is, if you're calling these all authentic, it's impossible because they contradict one another. Luckily, this doesn't have to do with our religious salvation. Knowing how old Muhammad was when he died doesn't impact any religious laws, but it goes to show the inaccuracy of hadith, of the most trusted hadith. Let's look at one that directly contradicts the Quran, that of ablution. So in the Quran, in Surah 5 verse 6, God tells us exactly how we are to perform the ablution, the wudu, before we do our salat. It says, O you who believe, when you observe the contact per salat, you shall 1. Wash your faces, 2. Wash your arms to the elbows, 3. Wipe your heads, and 4. Wash your feet to the ankles. So God is specifying in no uncertain terms that it's these four steps. That's it. Now, when you consult the Hadith and you say, okay, what does the Hadith say in regards to the ablution? Notice that the Quran doesn't specify how many times you're supposed to wash an arm. Do you wash right one first, then your left one, any of this stuff. But again, it's four consistent steps. First, you wash your face. Then you wash your arms to your elbows. Then you wipe your head and then you wash your feet. That's it. But what happens when you look at the Hadith? So Hadith number 163 from Abu Hurairah, it reads, Allah's Apostle said, If any one of you performs ablution, he should put water in his nose, then blow it out, and whoever cleans his private parts with stones should do so with odd numbers. I mean, this is a mockery of God's religion. Nowhere in the Quran does it say that during ablution, you're supposed to wash your nose. By all means, if you want to wash your nose, go ahead. But it's not part of God's religion. Nor is washing your privates with odd-numbered rocks. And we see other ones where it says, for instance, it'll specify how many times we're supposed to wash an arm. That, oh, you start with your right, then your left. But these even contradict each other. So in, uh, again, Hadith 165, Humran, this is Sahih Bukhari chapter 4, uh, it says... Uh, I saw Uthman bin Affan asking for a tumbler of water to perform ablution. And when it was brought, he poured water from it over his hands and washed them thrice and then put his right hand in the water container and rinsed his mouth and washed his nose by putting water in it and blowing it out. Then he washed his face thrice and then forearms uh, to the elbows thrice, then passed the wet hands over his head and then washed each uh, uh, foot thrice. 
And after that, Uthman said, I saw the Prophet performing ablution like this uh, of mine. And he said, if anyone performs ablution like that of mine and offers a two-rakat prayer, during which he does not uh, think of anything else not related to the present prayer, then his past sins will be forgiven. So, I mean, on surface level, wow, this sounds great, but it completely contradicts the Quran. God did not put these steps. You do not have to rinse your nose. You don't have to rinse your mouth. There's no counts to how many times you do it. And there's other ones. It says, for instance, it's Hadith number 159, chapter 4. It says the Prophet performed ablution by washing the body parts only once. And then in Hadith uh, 160, again from uh, Bukhari, it says the Prophet performed ablution by washing uh, the body parts twice. So you see these contradictions. Now, God specifies in the Quran what we are supposed to do. The second you introduce this other source that contradicts not only itself, but also contradicts the Quran, you have a choice to be made. Do you follow the Quran or do you follow these fabrications? Because it would be absurd to think that Prophet Muhammad would have followed a different law other than what was decreed to him by God. God informs us that if he did anything that contradicted the revelations given to him, that he followed any other command, that God would have punished him and no one could have helped him. In Surah 69, verse 40 through 47, it reads, This Quran is the utterance of an honorable messenger, not the utterance of a poet, rarely do you believe, nor the utterance of a soothsayer, rarely do you take heed, a revelation from the Lord of the universe. Had he uttered any other teachings, we would have punished him. We would have stopped the revelations to him. None of you could have helped him. Now, how absurd is this to claim that our beloved prophet, someone who lived this Quran, would do his ablution differently than how God decreed it for him? It's absolutely absurd to think that God, Lord of the universe, told Muhammad exactly how to perform ablution, yet Ab uh, Muhammad said, you know what, I'm going to do it my own way. That's insulting. It is literally impossible to have Muhammad perform something other than what God taught him unless it was an error and God corrects the matter. We have the example in Surah 33, verse 36. It says, No believing man or believing woman, if God and his messenger issue any command, has any choice regarding that command. Anyone who disobeys God and his messenger has gone far astray. Mean that Muhammad the man was obligated, just like all the believers, to follow Muhammad the prophet. That if he chose to follow some other source, go with some other teachings, that God would have stopped the revelation to him. He would have punished him. We see the same thing in Surah 17, verse 73 through 75. It reads, They almost diverted you from the revelations we have given you. They wanted you to fabricate something else in order to consider you a friend. If we're not that we strengthened you, you almost lean towards them just a little bit. Had you done that, we would have doubled the retribution for you in this life and after death. And you would have found no one to help you against us. God is specifying that there is no way Prophet Muhammad would have followed some other teachings. It didn't matter the amount of pressure he had. When God issued a command to him how to, for instance, perform the ablution, it would be absolutely absurd. It would be impossible for him to do any other teachings because then he would be in complete defiance to God's revelations. We have other examples of these contradictions that are rampant throughout the Hadith that completely contradict the Quran. The next one I want to look at is the punishment for adultery. 
God specifies in the Quran very clearly what the maximum punishment is for adultery. In Surah 24 verse 2, it reads, The adulteress and the adulterer, you shall whip each of them a hundred lashes. Do not be swayed by pity from carrying out God's law if you truly believe in God in the last day and let a group of believers witness their penalty. So God is specifying that the maximum punishment for someone who commits adultery is a hundred lashes. To go above and beyond that would be contradicting the verses of the Quran. But how many hadith do we have where it's claimed that the Prophet Muhammad instituted stoning individuals for committing adultery, going in direct defiance of what God has revealed to, to him in the Quran? Now you think, how does this portray our beloved Prophet in such a manner that he's stoning individuals for committing this act? This is ridiculous. In case some people might make the uh, argument that, oh yeah, you're supposed to lash, but you can also stone the individual. God clarifies this in Surah 4 verse 25. It's talking about the slave. It says the slave who commits adultery, that their punishment is that of half of what a free person is. So how do you half kill someone? If the punishment is stoning, then it's impossible to conduct this on half. But if you're lashing them a hundred lashes, then half that would be 50 lashes. But again, when you consult the Hadith, what we see is that it's instituting stoning for the punishment of adultery. And again, this completely contradicts the Quran. In Hadith number 413, again, this is another Sahih Bukhari, chapter 23, it says, The Jew brought to the Prophet a man and a woman from amongst them who have committed adultery, a legal sexual intercourse. He ordered both of them to be stoned to death near the place of offering the funeral prayers beside the mosque. Not only does this contradict the Quran, but how does it portray the prophet, someone who's stoning, someone who commits adultery, someone who's not abiding by the laws that God has revealed in the Quran? So which one do we follow? Do we follow the laws in the Quran or do we follow the laws in the Hadith? Because we see that these contradict one another. And again, God gives us an ultimatum. It's up to us which one we choose to follow. Do we believe in God's word when he says that the Quran is complete, it's fully detailed? Or do we go by these other sources that contradict the Quran? Now, what's another uh, contradiction? It's that of the dietary prohibitions. The Quran is very specific. Four times in the Quran, it specifies exactly what we are prohibited from eating. And it reads, the best verse is in Surah 6, verse 145. It says, say, I do not find in the revelations given to me any food that is prohibited for any eater except. So in this statement right here, it says that Prophet Muhammad, God is commanding him to say that in the revelations, in the term that's used is wahi, which means not just the kitab, but any inspiration that was given to the Prophet, that there is no food that is prohibited for anyone who eats food other than these four that are going to be specified. The first one is carry-on. The second is running blood. The third is the meat of pigs, for it is contaminated. And the fourth is the meat of animals, blasphemously dedicated to other than God. These are the only four dietary prohibitions in the entire Quran. And again, this is specifying that out of all the revelations, all the inspiration that the Prophet ever received, these are the only dietary prohibitions. But what do we see when we go to the Hadith? In Hadith from Sunan Ibn Majah, in chapter 30, Hadith number 3198, 
narrated by Khalid bin Walid. It reads, The Messenger of Allah forbade the flesh of horses, mules, and donkeys. Where did this come from? Again, this contradicts Surah 6, verse 145. This contradicts the statement that out of all the revelations given to the Prophet, the only dietary prohibitions were those four. But somehow here it says that forbade the flesh of horses, mules, and donkeys. I don't recall reading that in the Quran. So which one do we follow? In Hadith number 3196, narrated by Anas bin Malik, it reads that the caller of the Prophet cried out, Allah and his messenger forbid you to eat the flesh of domesticated donkeys, for it is filthy. We see again, this contradicts the very verses of the Quran. Now we have a choice. Which one do we follow? Do we follow the consistent source where it's consistently names four meats that are prohibited? Or do we follow these other sources? And there's more. This is another Sahih uh, Hadith. It says the Messenger of Allah prohibited eating every predator possessing canine teeth. Or in another Sahih uh, Hadith, it reads on the day of Khaybar, the Messenger of Allah prohibited eating every beast of prey and every bird with a talon. Where did this come from? If we are to believe that the Prophet prohibited these things, and we do not find this in the Quran as specified in Surah 6 verse 145, then it shows that one of these is inaccurate because it's impossible for the Prophet to have had commandments other than what was commanded to him by God. That even in the verse, Surah 6 verse 145, he's specifying, God is telling the Prophet to specify that out of all the revelations, all the inspiration that he ever received, the only dietary prohibitions was what was specified previously. This concept of prohibiting uh, predators that possess canine teeth or uh, birds with talons or uh, domesticated donkeys or horses, that none of this corresponds with the Quran. That these are sources that contradict the Quran and they contradict God's words in the Quran that the Quran is complete, fully detailed and has the answers to everything we need for our salvation. Now we have a choice. These are testimonies that were collected some 200 years after the Prophet's death. 99% of them by the compiler themselves said that they were inaccurate and they couldn't be trusted. This 1% were seeing numerous contradictions in it. And are you going to believe the testimony of these individuals who are providing us with unreliable information? Or do you trust in the testimony of God? In Surah 6 verse 19 it says, Say, whose testimony is the greatest? Say God's. He is a witness between me and you that this Quran has been inspired to me to preach it to you and whomever it reaches. Indeed, you bear witness there are other gods beside God. Say, I do not testify as you do. There is only one God and I disown your idolatry. Now what does this mean? God is saying that his testimony is the greatest. If we have another source that contradicts the testimony in the Quran, it is our duty to follow that of the Quran. But it's even greater than that because God is telling us, do not follow any other hadith beside that of the Quran. Now, why would someone be an idol worshiper if they follow some other source, if they go to the other sources of these hadith that were falsely attributed to our Prophet? In Surah 6 verse 121, it reads, Do not eat from that upon which the name of God has not been mentioned, for it is an abomination. And it says, the devil inspires their allies to argue with you. If you obey them, you will be idol worshippers. This is telling us that if we follow some other source that contradicts the Quran, then that becomes our God. Therefore, that would make us idol worshippers. 
that when you follow a hadith other than that of the Quran, when you follow a religious law other than that of the Quran, that it's showing that you've set up another idol beside that of God. And this is a very serious offense. It's not to be taken lightly. So yeah, some people say, well, look, there's some hadith, they have some good, this and that. But the reality is God is telling us it doesn't matter if they have one iota of good. We are not to follow them. This is similar to intoxicants. God says, yeah, there's some benefits for them, but their bad deeds far outweigh the benefits. And God calls these an abomination of the devil, similarly to hadith. These lies that are falsely attributed to the prophet are abominations of the devil. Now, if there happens to be some gems in there, it's not worth it. Just like it's not worth pursuing intoxicants because they might have some health benefits. So what's the conclusion from all this? The conclusion is that we follow the Quran alone, that we trust in God's words when he says that the Quran is complete, it's fully detailed, that we do not follow any other hadith beside this Quran, that we pursue that path, that we don't go after these extra sources that create numerous contradictions, that portray our prophet in such a horrendous light. God willing, I want to finish off by reading some verses from Surah 39. Starting from verse 23, it says, God has revealed herein the best hadith, a book that is consistent and points out both ways to heaven and hell. The skins of those who reverence their lords cringe therefrom. Then their skins and their hearts soften up for God's message. Such is God's guidance. He bestows it upon whomever he wills. As for those who are sent astray by God, nothing can guide them. In 39.27, it says, We have cited for the people every kind of example in this Quran that they may take heed, an Arabic Quran without any ambiguity, that they may be righteous. God cites the example of a man who deals with disputing partners, like Hadith, compared to a man who deals with only one consistent source, which is the Quran. Are they the same? Praise be to God, most of them do not know. You, Muhammad, will surely die just like they will die on the day of resurrection before your Lord. Your people will feud with one another. Who is more evil than one who attributes lies to God while disbelieving in the truth that has come to him? Is hell not a just requital for the disbelievers? Here God is specifying the death of Muhammad and because of this death that it's going to cause feuds among the followers of our prophet. And that's because they're attributing lies to God. The second that you say something is prohibited because the messenger said so, that he did not say that contradicts the very verses of the Quran, we are committing one of the most heinous acts by doing such things. And it continues in 39, 33, and says, As for those who promote the truth and believe therein, they are the righteous. They will get everything they wish at their Lord. Such is the reward for the righteous. God remits their sinful works and rewards them generously for their good works. And this is where the very profound question comes in in the following verse, in Surah 39, verse 36. Is God not sufficient for His servant? They frighten you with the idols they set up beside Him. Whomever God sends astray, nothing can guide Him. If God is sufficient for us, then the Quran is sufficient for us. These idols they formed by fabricating lies and attributing it to the prophet that are full of contradictions. If we choose to follow those, then we're following another God beside God, that we're falling into idol worship. 
So don't be frightened by these idols that the majority have set up. Because God warned us that if we follow the majority of people, they're going to send us astray. That if we want to follow God alone, then we follow the Quran alone. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. If you want to follow along with the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app. We've done a word-for-word breakdown of the Arabic along with a translation of the Quran where you can see exactly how these verses are translated. So you can verify this for yourself. And if you don't have an iPhone, we have the QuranStudyApp.com website which provides the same functionality, just doesn't have the audio recitation. And if you guys like the podcast, please share it, leave us a review, let us know, reach out, and God willing, until next time, peace and God bless.